Welcome to the Sermon Podcast for Canton Church, a campus of Mount Perrin North. We exist to help people live a Christ-centered life, and we hope that you are encouraged by today's message. What an incredible story of God's redemption and His grace, and that's just a snippet of His story. Uh, last fall, I had the opportunity to, uh, to baptize Anthony, and I think we've got a picture um, that they're going to show here uh, of when I had the chance just to stand in a swimming pool with Anthony and allow him to share a portion of his story to say, hey, I want to go public with the fact that God has done something privately in my heart. And it's just a reminder to all of us today that God is a God who allows us to move past those things in our past, right? It's a reminder to us, if you hear Anthony's story, maybe you can connect to portions of that story. Maybe some of those details match similar parts of your story, or maybe it just seems completely different from your story. But the truth remains that God allows us to move past our past. He allows us to get beyond whatever it was that we did back there that we are sure that now it exempts us from being able to be used by God or to be loved by God. And so today as we continue this series on Jonah, we've we've been talking for the last two weeks about the idea that Jonah's a guy in the Old Testament, in the book of Jonah, fittingly, uh, where we read this story, we know this story as a guy who was swallowed by a whale, right? He was swallowed by a fish. But really this story is about God speaking to Jonah. He was a prophet of God calling him to go to the city of Nineveh, this place of wickedness, and to preach against that city and the wickedness that existed there. And so instead of doing that, Jonah was like, nope, not going to do it. And he turns his back and he goes 3,000 miles in the opposite direction. Instead of going to Nineveh, he goes to this place called Tarshish. He's, he's headed towards Tarshish. And he goes by way of Joppa, and he gets on a boat, and while he's out in the middle of the water there, he's asleep, and a great storm comes. We read that God sent that storm to kind of get his attention, and the guys on the boat are like, hey, what do we have to do to make this storm stop? And Jonah says, hey, it's me. It's my fault. If you'll throw me overboard, the storm will stop. And so eventually they do, after trying to row their way out of that storm, eventually the storm, uh, the, the, they throw him overboard, the storm calms, and then this whale, this big fish, which is only mentioned in three verses in the entire story, though that's how we kind of know this story, this big fish comes and swallows Jonah up, and he spends three days and three nights in the belly of this fish, and he's talking to God, and he repents of his disobedience. And then Jonah chapter 3 is this short chapter. We're actually going to read all 10 verses of Jonah chapter 3 throughout our time this morning in just a few minutes. But Jonah chapter 3 is really kind of the climax of the story. It's not the whale. That's the cool part of the story. Like, that's the really neat part of how this is playing out. But the climax of the story, if you remember how it started, was God calling Jonah to go to Nineveh. And so now in Jonah chapter 3, Jonah goes to Nineveh. Like, it's the resolve of how this story even started. So here's what I want us to do. If you got a Bible, flip with me. If you got an app, you can go to it there. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1 is where we're going to start. And we're going to read, like I said, kind of throughout the next 20 minutes or so, we're going to read all 10 verses of Jonah chapter 3. So let's start. We're going to just read the very first verse together first. It says this in Jonah 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Stop right there. Like, if you just get that today, and you're like, well, what am I getting? Like, what what was that? Like, that was just one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Anybody need a second chance, right? Because God sent word to Jonah a first time, and what did Jonah do with it? He disobeyed it, right? He completely ignored what God wanted him to do the first time he heard from God. And so, yes, in between that... 
yeah, he had to go kind of on his way. He did his disobedience thing. Like you heard a little bit in the story of Anthony. Like he did some things. He ran away from God. He did some things contrary to what God would have him to do. And he goes to Joppa, and then he's trying to get to Tarshish, and then he goes into the water, and the whale comes and all But then in verse 1 of Jonah chapter 3, we see this incredible truth about God's nature and his love towards us. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now, listen to me this morning. I want us to know that God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. Now, the book of Romans challenges that because if you are a religious person, you've been in around the church. When I say that, there's just something on the inside of you that goes, yeah, but people can't take advantage of that. Like, you know, I hope that people understand that, like, you shouldn't do that, though. Like, you don't need to do that second thing and that third thing and that fourth thing. Like, you just need to obey God and you just... Absolutely. Like, that's what Scripture tells us. Don't take advantage of that. God's grace is not so that you can just kind of go and do whatever you want to as many times as you want to, as long as you want to. But the reality is this. As uncomfortable as it makes us, God's grace extends to us no matter what we've done. God gives us a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance and an 88th chance and a 188th chance and a 2,352nd chance because the word of the Lord comes to us as many times as as we turn our hearts toward God. I love this verse in Luke 22. You don't have to flip there. It's going to be on the screen because I don't want you to have to flip there and come back. But just this this verse, this little story here in Luke 22 where Jesus is talking to the apostle Peter and he's talking to him a a little bit about what is happening here at the end of the story of Jesus with the disciples. And we've actually read this before and, and so some of you may be familiar with this. But in Luke 22, verses 31 and 32, it says this, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Now, that's a good prayer. If Jesus is praying that your faith won't fail, that's a really good thing. I hope he's praying that for all of us, right? But listen to this. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, if you do a word study here, what you see is that Jesus was acknowledging that even though he was praying that Simon's faith would not fail, he also knew that his faith would fail. Now, I don't know, and we don't really have clear understanding here, if Jesus was specifically referring to the, the, the spot in the story where Peter denies Christ three times, or if he was making an acknowledgement of the imperfection of humanity, like there was this idea that he understood that no human being could be perfect, and so there was going to be a falling away that Peter would experience. But he gave to him instructions after his failure. So Jesus said, Simon, Satan's asked to sift all of you as we, but I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, so I acknowledge, Peter, that you're going to turn away from me. When you turn back to me, strengthen your brothers. So what we need to understand this morning is that in the economy of God, he has a plan for you post-failure, right? I'm not saying that so that you feel like, oh, well, then I can just do whatever I want, right? That's what we read about. That's what we talked about a little bit there in Romans. That's not what we're talking about. So all the religious people can take a deep breath here. That's not what I'm giving everybody permission to do. But I am saying to us that the grace of God that makes us uncomfortable is big enough for anything that you can do. It it covers your sins. It gives you that second chance, that third chance. Jesus was even saying, after you have failed me, I still want you to be a part of the plan and the story that I'm writing in the world. If you read through scripture, there's so many examples like this, aren't there? Samson, he tells Delilah, you know, if you cut my hair, I'll be as weak as any other man. And 
he does, she does, and, and you know, then he's kind of destroyed, and he can't, there's nothing, he's not really going to be a part of the plans of God, and then he asks God for that strength one more time to destroy the enemies of God. David, he has this affair with Bathsheba, but then we see God restore, at least in some respects, the kingdom and, and the, the ability for him to lead and kind of expand the territory there in the kingdom. Like we see that God has a plan that he's able to work, and that lineage and that throne that David helped to establish, how God uses that to further the kingdom of Israel and all of us as a part of that story. We see Paul in the New Testament. He's a guy who was, he was assassinating Christians, assassinating, killing people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. And then there's this Damascus Road experience where a light much brighter than this, even though this is really bright, shines down from the heaven and a voice from heaven calls out to him and gives him a second chance. And so Paul goes on to establish churches that we read about all in the New Testament and write to us letters in the New Testament because God has a plan for us even when we have failed. And so here's what I want us to know this morning. Your failure isn't final. Your failure isn't final. And your disobedience isn't permanent disqualification. Your failure is not final. And your disobedience does not mean that you are permanently disqualified from being used by God, from being loved by God, from being included in the family of God. Again, if you don't get anything else today, get that. Like, that's an incredible reality for all of us. So let's jump back into the story of Jonah chapter 3 and keep reading in verse 2. So remember, the word of the Lord has spoken now to Jonah a second time, and this is what it says. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. How dramatic is this? Now, if you, if you understand the context here, this is a great and wicked city, and about 120,000 people lived in this city at this time in history. And so Jonah had been disobedient. Now he turns back to God, and God speaks to him again, says, go to Nineveh. And so there's this great city that it takes about three days to kind of walk through. This is not necessarily saying that if you start at one end and you walk straight for three days, it takes that long to get to the end. It's saying if you walk through all the neighborhoods, if you walk down the sidewalks, if you go in among the, the merchants there and the businesses and the markets, like that takes three days to kind of do that and be a part of all the different things that are going on in the life of this city. About 120,000 people. And so instead of walking all three days' worth of the journey, instead of going into every house and every neighborhood, instead of going into every marketplace and every place in the city, he just goes about a day's journey in. He just kind of gets into the city a little ways. I don't know if that many kind of got downtown. I don't know if that many got to the biggest neighborhood, if he got to the place where the influencers were. I don't know if he had that much strategy. He just kind of walks about a day into the city, and he says eight words. He just says eight simple words to these people. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, I don't know about you, and I will admit this even as a pastor. Sometimes I am insecure about my ability to say what needs to be said to people in one-on-one -on -one conversations when I feel like I'm supposed to minister to them, evangelize, tell my story, share my story, help them see that they're, you know, that they're kind of going the wrong path. I'm insecure sometimes about what I'm supposed to say and what I'm supposed to do. Maybe I'm the only one. I'm not asking you to lift your hands because that will make me even more insecure that I would be the only one that would feel that way, right? <laughs> but sometimes I'm insecure that they're going to ask me like a Bible question that I don't know. Like, well, you know, where were the dinosaurs? I don't know. I mean, like... Like, I'm not sure how that has anything to do with salvation, but we're always afraid they're going to ask us that one question. 
that we just, like, I don't, I don't, have you Googled it? Like, I don't know what you're supposed to do in that moment. I'm a little insecure about some of that. But if we read right here, guess what happens? Jonah doesn't say anything profound. He just says what God tells him to say. That's what God said, right? Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. When God was calling Moses at the burning bush in the book of Exodus, and Moses was insecure about his ability to go and stand before Pharaoh and set the people free and all that, what did God say? You just go. I'm going with you. You go and say what I tell you to say. You go and do what I tell you to do. I'll do the miraculous with the things that you have in your hands. Like, God is not asking you to create all the answers. God's not asking you to come up with all the new information. You know what God's asking you to do? Just be obedient. Like, that's the story of Jonah. Right? This is a story about Jonah's disobedience taking him away from his ability to minister to the people of Nineveh and then ultimately his obedience bringing him back to a place where he could speak to the people of Nineveh. And so it wasn't about the specific words that he said. He didn't even go through the entire city. He didn't talk to every person. He didn't say like, as, he didn't speak for 25 minutes. He just said eight words. And with those eight words, God did what only God can do And the Ninevites believed God. It didn't say the Ninevites believed Jonah. The Ninevites believed God. Like this is this incredibly dramatic part of this story because we see that Jonah's obedience brings him to the place where he speaks the truth about God's grace to them, the proclamation of God's judgment on them, and they turn and respond. Now think about this. God's grace was enough for Jonah when he was disobedient, right? He was called to go to Nineveh. Instead, he went to Joppa, going towards Tarshish. God's grace was enough to get Jonah into the belly of the fish so that out of that moment, God could restore and bring him back to Nineveh, right? God's grace was enough. And God's grace was also enough for the wicked people of Nineveh. So God's grace is the theme of this story And yet they both got here a little different way. I think sometimes it's harder for those, and I'm going to use some broad terms here that I don't mean exactly the way they're going to come out, but hopefully you'll track with me here. I think sometimes it's easier for outsiders to accept the grace of God and their need for the grace of God than it is for insiders to accept their need for the grace of God. And here's what I mean, not insiders and outsiders, because there aren't those in the gospel. What I mean by that is those who are inside what I call the Church of Jesus Christ of the Southeastern United States, like those people that are familiar with the gospel, those people that are kind of familiar with the church, like they probably went to the church as a kid or maybe a teenager until they got to choose and then they chose not to go anymore, or maybe they're just loosely affiliated with the church. They show up randomly in certain times, so they kind of understand it, and they think that, they don't really need the grace as much as other people need the grace because they're kind of on the outside looking in. Like, they're the wicked people. Like, we hear certain stories and we hear certain details about people's lives and we assume, like, man, those people are the people that need God's grace. Those, that's the wicked people of Nineveh. Surely the prophet of God doesn't need God's grace as much as the wicked people of Nineveh. But there is no, like, ranking system here. There's no scale that says you need 82% of God's grace and I only need 17% of God's grace. No, no, no. We are all separated from God. We are all apart. It's not because we have sinned a certain number of times. We have just sinned and fallen short of God's glory. 
All of us are equally in need of God's grace and his compassion toward us. And so what we see in this story here is that we see that Jonah received the compassion of God, the grace of God, and the people of Nineveh received the compassion and the grace of God. And both of them were equally responsible than to do something in response. Jonah obeys, goes to Nineveh. The people of Nineveh hear and respond and receive the salvation of God. So let's keep reading in verse 6 all the way down to verse 10. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God and let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. God's response was due to the people's repentance, which was the result of Jonah's obedience. I'm going to say that one more time. God's response to the people of Nineveh was due to the people's repentance, which was the result of Jonah's obedience. Where do you need to be obedient so someone else can turn to God? Who in your family, who in your life, who in your job, who in your school is apart from God and God desires desperately to utilize you to bring them into the family of God if you would just be obedient, right? God's response here, he relented. His response is due to the people's repentance, which was a result of Jonah's obedience. Now, when I read through this story, I see, especially in these last few verses that we've read, I see a portion of how I view God sometimes, or maybe how I used to view God. I don't really view him this way anymore, but I have people in my life that I know view him this way. They view God as kind of the person up to verse 9 who wants to destroy Nineveh, right? All of this story up to this point is like God's like, hey, if, you, if Nineveh didn't get right, they're going to get left. You know what I'm saying? Anybody? You're not with me. That's all right. It was a little, like it just slipped it in there. You didn't, you didn't get that one. But, like, I feel like some of us, we assume that God wants to destroy sinners. Like, that God's heart beats for the opportunity to beat his children into submission. Maybe you don't articulate it that way. But, like, we read verse 10 where it says that then God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways. And he relented and did not bring on them destruction that he had threatened. And we look at that and we go, well, I guess up to that point, God wanted to destroy them. No, 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 no. God had to. There's a part of God's justice that requires him to punish sin, requires him to punish wickedness. And this story is one of the ways that we are taught, those that came after, we are taught about God's justice and how he was required to respond in this way. But what we see is that he delayed in his plan from Jonah chapter 1 all the way through Jonah's disobedience, all the way through the boat ride, all the way through the storm, all the way through the whale, all the way until Jonah could get back to Nineveh, and he allowed for the gospel to be presented to people who had otherwise not received it so that then God could relent and avoid destruction of these people. He was allowing for his grace to work before he had to Exhibit his justice. The New Testament talks about this. 
that in the days of Noah, God was patient. Well, in the days of Noah, God destroyed the earth. But if you thought about this, God told Noah the plan to destroy the earth before Noah built the ark. Now, it, it depends on what you read there and how you study, but it could have taken somewhere between 80 and 120 years to build the ark, which means God had a plan in mind before he did it, 80 to 100 years, 120 years before he did it, and then he allowed Noah to build the ark and be faithful and be obedient so that mankind could be saved. It's the same plan that he kind of exercises. He allowed Jesus to come to the earth so that mankind could be saved. There is a coming day of destruction. There is a coming day of justice. There is a coming day where God must judge and punish sin. But in the meantime, he is being patient. In the meantime, he is being gracious towards us to allow us to be obedient and respond to him so that other people can respond to him as well. God is not trying to destroy you. He's trying to save you. God is not trying to trick you. He's not lying to you. He loves you. He's not trying to hide from you. He wants to reveal himself to you. And if you can get that idea about God in our minds, it changes the way that we approach him. That he's not trying to destroy you. He is waiting to administer justice so that grace can abound. But there will come a day when he has to judge sin. And so God gave Jonah a second chance to be obedient. Because he wanted to give the people of Nineveh a second chance to respond. That is a powerful, powerful truth. This past week, I was, um, came home from work and... I started playing video games with my sons. My sons had said, hey, I, Dad, will you play this? They've been asking me for a couple days, and I wasn't able to. I never really had the time. And so my oldest son, Cooper, likes to play baseball, and so I played baseball with him on our PlayStation. And then my youngest two sons, Branson and Tucker, they like to play Madden. And so we played. I played against Branson and played Madden with him. And then I played my son, Tucker. He's six years old. And truth be told, like, I'm much better than Tucker in Madden. Like, I don't know if that surprises you or not, but, like, I'm, I'm awesome, and he's not. And so... We played, he's six, we played, and at halftime, the score was dad 27 and Tucker seven. Now, that's kind of what I do, like that's kind of my routine, don't tell my kids, like I kind of run up the score till halftime and then I let them like come back a little bit in the second half. I start running the ball, I start throwing interceptions, missing field goals, you know, it's, it's kind of my MO, that's what I do. So I, I want them to know up until the first half, like I'm way better than you but I'm also a gracious father, and so I'm going to make the score close here at the end. That's kind of how I, how I worked that out. But Tucker was having none of it that day. He was having none of it. Like, I'm winning 27 to 7. He's six years old. He has lost interest in this game. He's like, I don't want to play anymore. I'm like, no, 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 we don't quit. We don't give up. Even when life is hard, like it was a teachable moment, you understand? Even when life is hard, even when you're getting beat down, you stay with the game. Like, you just keep playing the game of life. No, you're... He's like, Dad, I'm done. I don't want to. So we've got... A friend staying with us, Johnny, he's a missionary to Southeast Asia. He's staying with us for a couple weeks. And so Johnny was like, I'll play. So we gave Johnny Tucker's controller. So now Johnny's losing 27 to 7. Don't think I didn't talk trash to him. I'm like, dude, I'm killing you. Like he just picked up the remote, but now I'm already destroying my friend Johnny. And so Johnny's got the remote. Well, then Corey called me. She said, hey, I need you to come upstairs. I need you to help me get dinner ready. I was like, all right. I said, Tucker, do you want to play against Mr. Johnny? He's like, Sure. So he's six years old. I don't think he fully grasped what I was asking him to do until he got the remote in his hand, the controller, and he started to pick a play, and he realized he's now winning 27 to 7. 
you would have thought he had scored all 27 points for this team. Because at six years old, he looks at John and he goes, I'm killing you. (laughs) Right? I don't know where he gets that. It's his mother. She's a trash talker. But What, What did he say? He was like, I'm winning. I'm on the winning team. Well, here's what you and I know. He, he used to be on the losing team, and then he switched teams, and he was telling the truth. Now he was winning. For some of us this morning, you've been trying your best, and you've been getting beat. You've been trying to do everything you know to do. Like you're running the ball, you're passing the ball, you're doing everything you know to do. You're trying to live right. You're trying to be a good husband, you're trying to be a good father, but there's just something missing. You're just not winning. Guess what? You're on the wrong team. And today, I want to give you the opportunity to switch teams. I want to give you the opportunity to come to Team Jesus, as corny as that sounds. To say, I'm not going to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ of the southeastern United States. I'm going to be a part of the family of God. I'm going to not just know about Jesus, but I want to know Jesus in my heart and in my life. I want to say to him, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And so, God, I'm asking you to forgive my sins. I want to get off the losing team. I want to quit trying to do my best. And I want to just take on what somebody else has already accomplished. And here's what that means. I did the work. And he just took the controller and got to enjoy the victory. That's what Jesus did for you. Jesus did the work for you on the cross. You don't have to work for the victory. He did the work for you. All you have to do to say today is just to say, I want to be on the winning team. I want a second chance. I'm thankful for God's grace that he gives second chances and third chances and fifth chances and 88th chances. I need one of those chances. And so today, I want to give you that chance to respond like Jonah and to respond like the people of Nineveh and say, God, I want to obey you. I want to turn from my wicked ways. I want to ask and beg and plead of you, God. Relent from the destruction that is coming my way. And save my soul. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and to close your eyes this morning. Nobody looking around. Nobody's looking around. This is just a moment where all of us here can search our heart, search our life. If you would say to me today, Jeremy, I want to be on the winning team. I know I'm losing. I'm trying my best. I'm doing everything that I know to do, but I am losing. And I want to be on the winning team. Today, I acknowledge that I need Jesus Christ to come and be the Lord and Savior of my life. He did the work, and I acknowledge that. I want to rest in the work that he did on the cross and accept him in my life, in my heart today. Would you just lift your hand? You can put it right back down. You can put it right back down. Thank you so much. Anybody else? Anybody else? Let's pray together. God, I thank you so much for these hands that have been lifted today. Your word tells us that heaven throws a party when even one person comes home. And so, God, today we thank you for the enormous party that's happening because of these people that have lifted their hands, which signify a lifting of their heart towards you to acknowledge that they need you to be the Lord and Savior of their life. And so, God, we thank you for that. We thank you today that they get to join your team, not our team, your team, where you already did the work. And so, God, we thank you for that today. We thank you, God, that you're a God of second chances. We thank you that our failure is not final. We thank you that our disobedience doesn't permanently disqualify us. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. And we thank you today that we get to be a part of the family of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Can we put our hands together today and just thank God? 
Thanks again for listening today. If you would like more information about today's message or about our church, we invite you to visit us at cantonchurch.com or facebook.com slash cantonchurchga. Thank you.